Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and elders who give us their message of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. Today, we get to talk to that magically awakened astrologer, Lori Lothian. Lori's here to help you get back to your magic of who and what you're meant to be. She's here right now helping you navigate your joy your own sweet spot, even within each tragedy. Lori knows and teaches you how to find serendipities and to see them, how to engage in your magic and get in your own flow and find the right answers for your life. Truly amazing, tapped in and ready to show you your gifts. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Lori Ann Lothian. Thank you so much for that great intro, Lauren. Boy, do you really do great research. Yeah, you kind of captured the essence of me. Thanks. Yeah, and I know that you're going into different directions, not just astrology and about finding you know, the different paths, how to find that high road and a lot of different things. But so many people want to always find the right answers for themselves. And I just love the story that you tell about after your mother tragically died and you and your siblings are looking for her will. It's just such a great example of how we really can get answers when we just simply ask the universe. Do you mind telling that story? Oh my God, we are so in the flow because before we got on the call, I was thinking, oh, how did I tell her about that story about my mom? And or the, I was thinking, would it be the funeral one or the will? Okay, so you just like really plucked out that from the ether. Okay, so let me say something about life before I talk about my mom and the will. You know, I think a lot of us go through life and we have a, the experience who can't. We're, you know, breathing and living beings of loss. And loss can be literal losing someone we love because they die, but it can also be emotional loss, you know, of a beloved relationship that ends or health loss. And, you know, these things are great disappointments. I mean, knowing, you know, when your kid tells you, you will experience a series of great disappointments and losses pretty well guaranteed just like you know the fact is that we're always guaranteed that we won't be alive forever we're also going to experience things that are very difficult and I think when I was very very young I grew up I think in a sort of an enchanted simple life I'm going to say that nothing really bad ever happened to me until my mother died and that was the beginning of learning about life and I was only 37 when my dad died I shouldn't say that nothing bad happened but he was elderly and not well and I didn't expect the exact date of his death but I didn't expect him to be alive for a long time. Whereas my mother was vibrant and youthful and healthy and fit and full of energy and only died at the age of 66. And so when I was 39 and she passed, that was the first devastating blow. And the first of what would become a life most people live, a life of loss and tragedy and upsets. So the story of the will, though, is kind of the story of what my mother's death offered me, which was the grace that can happen in the wake of a huge loss where we are kind of emptied out and I was in my dark night and I began to see almost immediately after her death, almost like the day of her death, a string of incredible synchronicity. And the way I began to observe everything that unfolded afterward was so incredibly enchanting. And to tell someone that in the wake of the death of a mother that I was very close to that life would become enchanting sounds disturbing. Yeah. But it was, it was the first time in my life I'd experienced such an incredible influx of uncanny synchronicity and a feeling that the universe was benevolent and as Gabby Bernstein says, had my back, yeah. you know? So the story of the well. So basically, just before my mother died, I'd had a dream. Somebody was going to die who was very close to me and I know the dream was full of incredible detail like, you know, like on a pew and the person was buried with something red on them and, and this was like maybe a week before she died and I even channeled the day before she died. She was hit by a car for those listening and so there was no warning. She was a pedestrian fatality. 
I was channeling like a written book. I was just like penning something I was hearing for a few weeks. And the day before she died, the channeling said someone close to you is about to die very quickly, suddenly, and they're very healthy, but they're going out like a warrior, etc. So the last person on my mental checklist upon channeling that the day before she died was my mom, right? I had everyone else in line, including my husband, <laughs> not my mom. So anyway, so she did get hit by the car the next day. And part of the enchantment I want to share before I talk about the will is to say not only were there premonitions and foreshadows, but the day of my mom's death, I went to the store to buy her birthday present. Now I was late. It was three weeks before she died that she had her birth, 66th birthday. But I was out there shopping for her birthday present the day she died. And in fact, was driving home from that shopping trip when she was actually hit by the car and flooded with this remembrance of my mother as I was driving home with her birthday gift, you know, which I'd have to mail to her. I lived in a different city. And I was flooded with all these memories of my mother. And like, I was just like, as if I was having a past life review. And I was odd because I was thinking, why am I thinking so intensely about her? Every childhood memory was flooding back up and little things like she never went anywhere without lipstick on and how quaint that was. And the smell of my mom came to me. It was just incredibly intense. And in hindsight, I would find that was when she was hit by the car and instantly killed. And so that evening, you know, I got the news from my sisters what had happened. Of course, I was devastated. But I, I remember the very night of getting the news, having this sense of the uncanny mystery and weirdness of buying a birthday gift on a death day. And there's a, was a sense of comfort there, like a death is a birth, a birth, you know, and a death are a part of life. It just felt like I was being given some grace, even in the devastation of this day of her death. So then a few days later, I flew to Canada for her funeral and we had to find the will, my sisters and I in her, her house. <laughs> and it was a big house, right? It's my childhood home, it's like, you know, four bedrooms, three floors. And we really, really were like all like zombies. We were devastated. And so we went into my mom's home and she had left the heat on 50 degrees the day she died. I mean, it was a really cold October in Northern Ontario, Canada. And we were really, it was almost so much, you almost see your breath, you know, it was that cold in the house, but we didn't even turn the heat on because we assumed we would get the will pretty quickly. We, you know, checked the logical places to put a will. So I couldn't find it anywhere. We were freezing. And maybe an hour and 20 minutes later, I realized, you know, why am I even trying without asking for help? So I went into the living room. My sisters were upstairs and I said, mom, like for goodness sakes, anything you could do right now to help us find the will. I mean, we're desperate. It would be really useful. And within about two minutes of my mom requesting my mom participate in this search for the will, my sisters came stumbling down the stairs, like full blast, boom, 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 my two sisters. And they're like, oh my God, oh my God. I go, what? You know, the heat in dad's bedroom turned on. And now no big deal, right? There's some heat coming into my dad's bedroom upstairs. My dad's passed, but there was two bedrooms up there and one was his. And, and they said, but the thermostat is turned off. <laughs> So the thermostat is zero in the individual baseboard heating electric bedroom my dad had. And yet there's heat pumping, pumping out of the, the radiator. I said, it's mom. She's telling us it's hot, hot, hot. Because when we were kids, we did Easter egg hunts. And the clue that where the Easter eggs were was she go cold, 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 hot, hot, hot to direct us toward the right direction. And so I went up to my dad's room and said, she's telling us the will is in this bedroom. And so we began the search again in that one room of this big house. And it turned out that I, I was the one who actually found it. It was in the back of a filing cabinet that my dad had, but it wasn't in a file. It was like tucked behind all of the files. And I pulled out this envelope and I'm like, da-da. And then as soon as I found it, the heat in the room went off. So that's one example of the way I find meaning in life is that I look for the grace of those incredible things that can happen that are so outside the box of the ordinary. And that's been a real gift for me. And you know, we don't all have to have crazy ass stories like ghosts that give you wills, but there were so many other layers to how that unfolded 
unfolded that my life became a pursuit of the serendipitous. The outfit that she was buried in was in my dream. It was a red and white outfit that this person's, the funeral had a, in a dream, it was a coffin with a red and white fabric draped over the coffin. And that was a dream a week before she died. And it turns out that's what my sisters chose to bury her in was her favorite white pants and her favorite red top or actually cremate her in. And I had no say in that. I didn't even ask what they were doing and because they lived in the same town she did. And uh, only later on found out that was the case. So, you know, I had premonitions. I had the weird enchantment of the sense of a birthday gift on a death day. And then, of course, the Will story is just one of many that unfolded. And I want to say one last thing. I wrote a book that I never published after that called Falling Off the Edge of the World that was a series of the synchronicity, magic, wild and weird tales from the ghosty campfire side of life that happened in the whole year after my mom died. And I really feel that that became sort of the new me, you know, the part of me that felt that, you know, life's meaning was in finding the magical and the magical is available in the simplest everyday moments. It doesn't have to be, as I said, big ghost stories. And do you want to talk about how that is available to anyone and how they can tap into that? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, the idea that you said in the very beginning, I think is the key. I mean, so many people don't think about the ask, like it's, there may be an expectation that I hope something goes well for me or like this is difficult and, you know, yikes, say in a difficult moment. And there's a sense of this aloneness and isolation that most of us naturally take for granted in times of a difficulty. I don't know why that is. I think it's like the wounded animal instinct to like to pull in tightly. But the ask is to the universe or to God or soul or source or wisdom of, of the divine intelligence, not to your necessarily to your friends. Maybe they can't help you. Maybe your loved ones are helpless to support all of us in life. So the ask is a key, I think. And so I think the ask becomes secondary after a while. If you don't think to ask, you're always in a state of expectancy for the ask. I'm going to give you a silly story that's so simple, but it really is an example of something. You know, I'm a gardener and I love to plant, you know, things on my balcony in the cities and I grow things. It's one of my favorite things. I'm a cigar lover. Those are two things about me. I love to find cigars and I love to garden. And I moved into this new place. I'm just arriving from a cross-country trip from Montreal to Vancouver, Canada. And I drove by myself. And uh, by the way, every room I went to was a corner room or an upgrade that I didn't ask for at every hotel I stayed at. I felt like the universe was so watching over me on that trip. But when I got here to this new place, there's a gorgeous big balcony up front with a ton of light. But of course, I haven't had a chance to buy plants. And on my second day in this unit, I go to the roof deck and then there's a sweet guy up there. His name is Drew. And I made a little new friend in the building. And the next day he pings me and he says, I got a plant for you. And, you know, it's kind of cool because I now have a thriving, beautiful mint plant that he's supplied with potting soil. He's a gardener, potting soil and a pot and everything for me. And it was like the ask was inherent in the desire. Like I desire to begin planting stuff, you know? And at that point, my car was not available to me. It's a long story. So I I couldn't like go to the hardware store in the last few days and like stock up and buy plants and pots. And my neighbor, first day, second day here, brand new friend provided that. But the irony is the cigar smoking. So I'm a cigar nut and I was craving a cigar. And I was like, oh, I gotta go get a cigar. I walk by a cigar store. Should I get a cigar my second day here? I've only been here for like six days or something. And I go up to the deck and of course the dude is smoking, not cigar, but these really funky cigarettes that are made with no additives, raw tobacco, and they smell like cigars. And I said, are you smoking a cigar? Because it's just raw tobacco. It's not a cigarette. And he says, no, but it's a special thing. So 
I got to smoke a cigar from the guy who gave me my plant. So I think that's kind of cool because the two wishes I had when I got here in my mind was I craving a cigar <laughs> to smoke on my balcony. And it would be so great to start putting plants on this gorgeous balcony. And both of those things were delivered. And in a way now at this point in my life, I think a lot of people that I know can relate to this. We get into a place of flow uh, in life. It's a state of effortlessness that can come with the practice of the ask and then the receiving of it, right? You have to pay attention. Like going to the roof deck, I could smell what smelled like cigar. And that drew me to this guy. And honestly, you know, some strange guy up there having a, a, a beer and a cigarette, you know, alone on the roof deck. You know, maybe anyone would be like, are you sure about that? But it felt like it was in response to flow. You know, I was up there by myself first evening I got here and it kind of flowed out to, re- to be a way to receive my desires, you know, to receive a, a gift of a plan. I didn't ask him for that. Yeah. So there's a lot of people right now who they feel like they're missing out. They've been giving, 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 and it's my turn, that kind of a thing. And lonely, they're feeling like life passing them by, but they don't know what it is exactly that they want. Do you know what I mean? And they're just, they're not like you where they are in the flow and they go up to Drew and they say, hey, (laughs) is that a cigar? What would you tell somebody like that? Suggestion would you have for somebody like that? Yeah. So this is where it's really important not to try to take a giant step, (laughs) you know, because when I'm describing these things, this is now, I mean, I'm 59. This is 20 years of living this kind of a life, increasingly being a available to the ongoing flow, okay, which I consider divine energy. I have been depressed in my life. And it's ironically wasn't even after my mom died and I in my 30s. And I remember going through a really difficult period where I was completely stuck. I was in complete gridlock in my life, unsatisfied, dissatisfied with my marriage, with my career, my non-existent career, and feeling lost. You know, I lived in Washington, DC. I hated that city at the time. And I felt completely stuck is the best word. I think paralyzed maybe as well. And the way I got out of that was the small steps. And one of them was, I remember asking, the ask, I remember asking earnestly to the universe to help me, you know, and I guess I would have been about 33, two or 33. And that it wasn't so much help me get X, Y, Z. Cause like you said, Lauren, I didn't know what I wanted. You know, I mean, that's so important when we are in a place of difficulty and a dark night of any kind, often it's just a complete cessation of desire and knowing what we want. So I was in that place. And so I was really, really just saying, you know, universe, God help. That's about it or whatever. I don't have religion. So it was more like anything else there help. <laughs> so what happened not long after that re- earnest request for help is that a friend had gifted me a book for my birthday that April I'm in Aries. And it was called The Psychic Pathway by Sonia Chiquette. Now, before that, I had a real estate license in DC, hated it. Desktop publishing career, hated it. You know, worked at a newspaper chain owned by the Washington Post, hated it. So I was in career stagnation stuck and I was in a really difficult marriage and I was exhausted. So basically this book she gave me on my birthday came out of the blue. And The Psychic Pathway by Sonia Chiquette is a book about a woman who created a career as a psychic. And I'm like, like, wait a minute, I've been doing tarot cards and palm reading and astrology for friends and family for years. Maybe after I read the book, I was so inspired. Maybe I could do this. That was the first thing. But you know, it continues, right? Because reading a book and being inspired by it, because I asked for help from the universe and a friend gifted me this book out of the blue for my birthday is one thing. But the next thing I realized after reading the book is that if I'm going to do a career as a psychic, I need to have a mentor, someone to show me how to even begin. I didn't know where to start. And a 
about a month and a half after the book was gifted to me, so it probably was June of that year, I had signed up to go see Sonia Chiquette speak at the Learning Annex in Washington, D.C. And I don't think anyone remembers the Learning Annex. It was big all over North America uh, before we had you know so much internet. And you would go listen to luminaries talk about new age stuff. So I had signed up for Sonia Chiquette's talk in D.C. because I'd read her book. Of course, I was excited. She called in sick and didn't make it. But I still didn't know that. I Oh, I think I did. The Learning Annex told me she's not there, but we've got a replacement if you still want to come. So I went to, I drove from Annapolis to D.C. I'd moved to Annapolis at that point and got there. And there was this woman who was a psychic who wrote a book called Beyond Boundaries from New York City. Her name was Louise Houck and she did her shtick and I loved her talk. And I was so intrigued and inspired that I signed up to do a private reading with her in Alexandria, Virginia, a couple days later. And we're halfway through this reading, me and this woman, this woman is about maybe 10 years older than me or so. We're halfway through the reading and she stops. She goes, because she was being very accurate. She's a really good psychic about my past, present, and future. And she goes, oh, I'm being told I'm supposed to mentor you. You need a mentor. <laughs> And I'm like, that's on my ask list. I need a mentor to become a psychic. So she took me on as a private, tutored me to become a clairvoyant professionally for about three months. And then she sent me two or three of her clients. And from there, the rest of my 30s, I did psychic readings for people. And I was so happy with my career. I loved what I was doing. I loved it. But it came out of a very deep stuck place. Everything does. <laughs> yes. Always. That deep Always. Stuck place is a birth. It's like a birth. It's a womb. You know? Absolutely. Got to get cracked open somehow. So how did you end up in astrology from there? Well, because I'd always studied astrology since my okay. 20s. I used to like cast charts by hand. And in my 30s, I created something that was a blend of astrology, tarot, and numerology called Tarology, which is still for sale at tarot.com, ironically. So that product that I created in my 30s and sold to tarot.com in my 40s was a blend of astrology, numerology, and tarot, and also just plain old, you know, mashup of wisdom. But when I was in my 30s doing psychic readings for people, okay, like let's literally telling people about their past, present, and future with my third eye. I didn't use tarot cards. I got a little bit disenchanted with it because I felt like I was taking the power away from people when I was telling them what would come into their lives, what would happen. And although I was accurate and I was very well known, like I was on a BBC documentary and I had a lot of press about stuff I was doing, remote viewing and stuff at the time, I came into like an existential crisis of meaning, which was, is it really helping people to tell them what will happen? And even some of it was difficult stuff, like what will happen? I remember one woman was her daughter. I said, your daughter's going to need you on October 31st this year around Halloween. Something really important is going on. You'll be by her side. She'll be okay. But her daughter was hit by a car on her bicycle that day. And, you know, does that really, maybe it gave the woman comfort because it would be like the psychic told me she would, everything would be okay. So maybe I could work it that way. But I just found that after a while, I lost the excitement of being the amazing Kreskin and just seeing the future and the past, you know, and wanted to do something more meaningful in my life. So I, I retired from that. And as I did retire, from that, I was waiting for the next thing to show up. And so why I like astrology and why I began to practice it professionally in 2017, rather than just, you know, endlessly doing it for fun or friends or as a hobby is that astrology is a little bit more like looking at lanes on a highway mm -hmm. and saying, or, and which exit signs are up ahead. What I like about astrology is it shows us the lay of the land and it tells us which is, I like to call it call the superior path or the inferior path because everything that happens, good. yeah, everything that happens in an astrological setting,
sense, the map of the sky called reading the sky is an algorithm of some sort that's showing us what we decided we want to experience in life. But there's a way to experience things. You know, there's the actual script of what's likely to show up in terms of people, places, and things. And then there's how we enter into that, you know, where we actually enter into it from what place in our being. And if we enter into in a place of willingness, trust, surrender, or resistance, fear, and anxiety, those are two different entry points. And they will collapse like a wave function in physics, completely different versions of the same story. So I kind of think that astrology, and I'm practicing it with a lot of psychological and metaphysical energy, because I'm also a trained psychologist. But I really think that psychology and metaphysics both are applying to astrology. You can look at somebody and look at the psychological conundrum that they're in. You can look at the spiritual conundrum that you're in, they're in. And you can look at the planetary stories that are unraveling in their life at the time. And I think that astrology gives you choice, more freedom, more latitude around that superior or inferior path. And it took a while for me to come to that conclusion, by the way, by reading 2000 clients in the last three years and coming to the understanding that it's not just about one thing. So as a psychic in my 30s, I seem to be almost like there's an old Sufi parable that if you tell somebody the dream, you collapse and you ask for the interpretation that you collapse the dream into an outcome. And so one of the things about just telling people the future straight out, flat out psychically, is it almost creates that. It almost like we agree, right? You and me, we're going to agree that that's what's going to happen. And then it happens. So astrology gives you way more freedom, it seems to me, to look at it as a multiple levels of possible expression and helping a client see the higher one. Well, there's always freedom of choice, which path you want to take. Well, there's freedom of choice, except now this is fate and free will. A Pluto moon event in a chart usually means the death of a female. Okay, end of story. Like you can't, and if and often it can be a mother because the moon is your mother in the chart. And my mom was hit by a car during a Pluto moon event in my chart. So could I like change that, that my mom was going to be dying during my Pluto moon event? No, I don't have any choice there. I have no free will or choice about my mother's life. So astrology will give you the people around you too. What's happening with your loved ones, your children, your husband, your mother, your father, your grandparents even are in the chart. So you can see a lot of things in a chart that have nothing to do with your choices. But where your choices do lie in a chart, if you are aware that you have those choices, is in seeing the archetypal lesson that's unfolding for you and being willing to embrace it. So let's go back to my mom dying. That is easily a victim story, right? Woe is me. I'm only 39. My dad died at 37. I'm in a non-functional marriage. And, you know, my career was the only thing going for me at the time. And my two beautiful children, but you know, I could have gone into a really dark place at that point and collapsed into a what was me victim place. Now, there is a possibility in my chart for a very dark time that should have followed my mom's death or could have followed my mom's death, given the other trances at the time, there was a part of me that rose to the superior path and began to say, well, if this is happening to me, why did I have so much, you know, enchantment around it? What is the possibility that it's going to produce something good in my life instead? You know, I had seen a psychic two years before my mom died. And she said, geez, your mom's going to go out really quickly. She's not going to suffer. And I said, of course not. She always said she will never die in a hospital like her, her mom and her sister did. No kidding. But when that psychic said that to me two years before my mom died, I'm like, but the, I'm seeing, seeing my mom at 89 or something, you know, popping off from a heart attack in her sleep. Not what happened. So I think where we get stuck sometimes in our lives, it's about the thing is that we don't have any control often. People in our lives have their own destiny. Our children have their own destiny. Our parents have their own destiny. Our pets have their own their own destiny. Oh, yeah. 
we can't actually change the stories that they are here for, but we can change or work with their stories in our lives, right? With that sense of the magical, the serendipitous synchronicity part of it, miraculous. I'm very much into that. And I think it all starts with, I never even would have thought of that way until Lauren, you said the, the ask, you know, the universe is not going to shove its way in like a, you know, is a consensual thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely you have to ask. So you are going to be going into a different direction a little bit. Did I hear that correctly? Are you? Well, there's a couple of directions I'm going into. So yeah, so. but my creative direction is that I, I'm a fiction writer, award-winning short fiction writer and poet, and I'm going back to my writing for my own joy. But independent of that, you know, in my life, I'm also known as the awakened dreamer as well as an astrologer because I've had two spiritual enlightenment episodes. And I don't think that I'm a te spiritual teacher. I don't want to do that. But I do know that those enlightenment episodes or whatever awakenings, not I'm woke social justice or something. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> the full Monty of like, there's no real Lori here, by the way, or nor is there really a Lauren there. But it's good that we're constellating the divine into discrete elements called, you know, Lauren and Lori. But when you recognize the truth of what's really here, you know, which is really one thing showing up as many, your life takes a lot of interesting turns. So then in 2019 summer, I had a spiritual awakening again, a second version of it in 2018 December. By the time I got to the middle of 2019, I started channeling two different books like in sequence called The Coming Age of Miracles and The Way of Miracles. And that's not something I ever saw myself doing. I mean, it's not really something I would have planned. And it's an interesting journey. I have to yet put those books more officially into the world because I am reluctant. But it does talk about the coming age of miracles. And in the 2019 book, the channeled voice of God, so to speak, informed me there was a pandemic coming. And so that's all in the book. It's all in the time sequence of hearing that message repeatedly from May to the end of 2019. So that kind of lends the book credence, whatever voice I'm listening to is giving me accurate information. But the real import of the book, the real bottom line grit of what that coming age of miracles book is about is the encouragement for each of us to spend time in the stillness within ourselves and to go into a communion within ourselves with the voice of God, source, intelligence, universe, creator, you can call it what you like. And the message is one of hope because the message is that we are in a time on the earth where the capacity for more people to commune with the divine signal which has been broadcasting at us forever is now available. And in that time of our availability to that signal, we will all begin to produce miracles. And so we shall see what those miracles look like. And the book prescribes 23 years ahead from my channeling in which this is the evolving of the age of miracles in which we begin to see it coming into form. And how can, again, how do you recommend that others, because you talk about this is available to everyone. And so how do you recommend besides just being getting quiet and still? Some people aren't practiced in that or that good at that, or I can hear we'll say yeah yeah that's good for you Lori but yeah those not are so good yeah, at that yeah. yeah those are great like points you know I'm not a meditator I don't do meditation right so that's kind of I mean I'm not that girl you know so for me and what the book suggests okay is that there's an aperture of time in the dawn hours as the sun is rising where that there is an availability to a stillness that is easier let's just call it that now that's nothing new I've heard that from meditators before so when I channeled the book it was at the dawn hours for the most part just 
just to be you know, clear. But, you know, when I talk about getting into stillness and hearing this divine signal in the book, it is meant to be easy. It's not like going, see, the book is really clear that meditation is a great device to calm the nervous system and prayer is a device as well, but neither of them is a dialogue or a communion with the divine. And that's kind of a missing ingredient in our collective right now. I mean, we can get all super chill by doing mindfulness meditation, but are we actually connecting with anything or are we just turning off the noise? So I don't know the exact answer to what you're saying because everyone is going to be different. But I taught a class called the Miracle Lab and I invited people to sit in the stillness as best they could in the mornings before they, their day got going. Like that guy who did the Miracle Morning, you know, get the mornings, you harness the morning. And even those people who had no meditation experience were having experiences in the morning. So I like the idea of just being able to sit there with a pen and paper in your hand. I like the morning pages really, but just also ask, invite the divine signal. You don't have to think of this as a deity, a God, you know, to say the, uh, all that is, you know, to connect with you. And it may just be, I think something as simple as an inspiration or thought or a tune that comes to your mind. Like all of a sudden you're hearing like the Beatles song, well, let it be. And then, you know, write it down in your journal and doing that daily, you'll see patterns emerge. I also see patterns emerge in that way. You know what I mean? Like that, you know, you become available to the day in a new way, like synchronicities emerge from the morning's little stillness. And by the way, the voice of God said, <laughs> Goddess said, five minutes <laughs> just needs to be five minutes. You yeah. know? This is not a meditation ordeal. Oh, yeah. five minutes. Do you have a message of hope? Yes. And I didn't plan that one. I have a message you don't have to. <laughs> no, but I'm thinking about that. Yeah. I, I think I have a message for each of us, not for the collective. I don't know what hope looks like for the collective, but for each of us individually, I think that the message of hope is you're not alone. You know, my deeper experience of this reality and life is that we're all kind of locked in the cage of our minds. And no matter how many people are around us, and no matter how much great tantric merging union and sex you can conjure, which I did quite a bit of that, you're still going to always be sensing at some existential level that you are alone. And that's the condition of humanity in form. That's just what happens when we have our own little quantum computers, our own brains, our own bots, our own forms. And I do feel that people feel lonely, but lonely is not alone. Lo alone underneath lonely is a existential aloneness as if that we are on our own desert islands our own isolated dystopian reality and I want to say the hope is you're not alone you are never ever alone and an awakening experience will show you that you're not alone because you are all of it you're everything but also there is a divine loving intelligence and this is where I depart from the whole non-duality shtick there is a divine mother archetype within the loving universe that does watch you that does want you to connect with her it and you're not alone because that is always watching over you and this is not new agey i mean i don't mean you're god of guardian angel you probably do but i mean that the universe itself is incredibly intimate with you at all times it's just that we forget that it is to me parental it feels to me like a loving parent and if you are willing to engage that possibility in whatever way like ask to know it like say this lady Lauren said, but I don't believe that stuff. You can just say to the universe, I don't believe what she said. She's a Pollyanna. She's probably had a charmed life. And, you know, it's not my experience of a loving divine universe. It's right beside me, intimately connected to me at all times. So show me the goods and ask in a nasty way. 
you know, don't be nice about it. I was uh, listening to a shaman from Africa speak in Vancouver a couple of years ago, and he said, rail at the gods and say, damn it, you forgot how hard it is here. Show me the goods. Yeah, that's good. And I've heard you talk about different ways that you can hear answers to your questions. And I love some of them with overhearing conversations and, and things like this. So do you want to talk about that? Oh my God, what are we? Like soul sisters? I was gonna, or I was also thinking of talking about that before we got on. I don't know what that is. Weird connection we have. Yeah, so one of my favorite oracular techniques or ways to connect with synchronicity, I guess is an easy way to put it, is to ask a question that you want an answer to and go sit in a noisy public place. So I just had this happen to me the other day. I was asking a question. I was at a very busy beach and I heard the conversation of the people in the chairs next to me. And I'm like, oh, that's the answer to my question. So if you have a, something that you're really looking for guidance on, like, uh, is my highest and best good to take that job? Or, you know, is John the man for me or whatever? Then go sit in a very public, noisy spot or, you know, or engage a, like a walk down the street. And with the understanding that you will catch snippets of people's conversations that are meant for you to hear and their conversations is an answer to your question. Yeah, I thought that was really great. Right, you really do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I thought that was so good. What do you think people misunderstand about you the most? Probably that I'm a Pollyanna full of, you know, like I always seem to be optimistic and on the bright side, but actually I can be very brooding. <laughs> and they, they misunderstand that I think, you know, that I have maybe unless you really know me, you know, you don't know that my son was almost killed twice on death's doorstep and that my both my parents died before the age of 40 and that I have also had two marriages fail. That's enough to sink a lot of people. And I think what they misunderstand about me is that I put over a kind of a cheery Pollyanna veneer on life, but it comes out, it's been born out of the losses and the tragedies. This is a very authentic, authentic, subjective well-being that I express and I'm trying to share with the world that if you're willing to look, the cup isn't just half full, that's actually overflowing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have, I don't know, one of your sites, maybe Twitter or something that graces your superpower. And I just thought that was... Amazing. Yes, yes, it is. Our, it's all of our superpowers. Yeah, 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 I say superpowered by grace. And I do know that it's available to everybody. But you, you have to find your own way there. And I have to say, I love what you're doing with this show. Everyone's going to take a snippet from each episode, or even just one thing that I said, and the rest will just not have no meaning. But to understand for anyone who catches this show with me and you today, and has a chance to listen to it, that's where I do get a little new agey. There is no are no accidents. If you're listening to me, you may actually be like really rankled and you might not like what I'm saying. You might think I'm full of shit or, you know, you might be feeling somehow bad about what I'm saying because that's going to happen for some people. But you're here for a reason. There's something in this conversation between Lauren and I today that is for you. And that's where the, also I love the, the part of life that's magical, you know. Even when I listen to somebody's interview sometimes and I'm finding it hard to maybe agree with that person, I'm going, but I'm listening to this. There must be a reason. Yeah. So, so I want to encourage anyone listening to this to also ask that, that question too. Like, wow, I ended up hearing this thing. It must be something here for me today. Absolutely. There are no mistakes or any accidents. We're right where we're supposed to be right now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope, Lori. Uh, I so enjoyed the connection and, and your questions and just you. Thank you. I uh, talked a lot, but you do hold a great space. <laughs> oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. It's so funny because the question about listening to conversations of other people, it was about whether you should move from 
from the east coast of Canada over to Vancouver and you overheard somebody saying that they were going to wait to move someplace for about a year or a year and a half. But clearly that t- period of time has ended and now you've moved because you said you just moved to Vancouver. So oh, I just think that's really, that's just classic. <laughs> it's so classic. I know. And you will get the answer. You may not always want the answer, but if you engage with the question and the answer comes, write it down because it's probably right. <laughs> yeah. You said you kind of listened for it to come from two different places also, just exactly. to be sure. <laughs> just to be sure. You can always ask more than once. You're going to always get confident. Oh, well, let me just tell you one more quick story. Yeah, I was sure, sure. So a, fr- a mutual friend of ours, Morgana, Morgana Ray, uh, she was doing a retreat in Bali a few years ago in 2017. And she, she and I talked on the phone, one spot opened up, someone had dropped out. And she said, well, do you want to come in? I said, well, I always wait for signs. I said, give me a while, maybe 24 hours to get my synchronicity to know if this trip to Bali to study with her for a week was the right thing. And that very morning, after Lou, I, you know, it was the same day. I went to the lawyer's office to sign some documents with my ex-husband and we're sitting there and he points across at the lawyer's desk and behind it was a, like a map of a world with pins in it where this guy had traveled everywhere. And I mean, there must've been a hundred pins, but what does my ex-husband say? Oh, I see you've been to Bali. And then I get in my car and I'm driving and my phone. This is after the lawyer's office. My phone starts beeping and I look, I shouldn't have, but I was at a stoplight and I looked. And it was a text message from a friend of mine who I'd been to Bali with. And he sent me a picture of our trip and said, such great memories of Bali. <laughs> and then I'm driving down the street a little bit later that day and there was a billboard and it wasn't about Bali, but it was an expression or like a, a saying that this woman Morgana uses on a billboard. And I'm like, all right. So then I said to her, I got three in like 10 yeah. hours. I'm in. Yeah, definitely. You can't say no to Bali anyway, or Morgana. She's great. The point is don't take one, you know, it's, you're, you know, you can always ask for three or more uh, re- reaffirming signs. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. This was great. So thank you again for being a guest. It was so great to have this chat. Thanks, Lauren. I appreciate it. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Lori's messages of an open mind, serendipity, and to look within. Such great messages to take into our week ahead. Let's challenge ourselves to do three things this week that we wouldn't normally do and break out of the box. They can be little things or manifest your biggest dreams and surround yourself with those who support you. If you're not sure what those are, but you have this nagging feeling that you aren't doing what you're called here to do, head to the website at 52weeksofhope.com and grab a free ebook of how to be your best self now and take a look at that. There's simple exercises in there to help you get to your truth and feel empowered now and get your answers. Be sure to tune in next week when the manifester extraordinaire, the manifestation queen herself, Jen Mazur, joins 52 Weeks of Hope. She's unbelievable. She's just a plethora of information of how you get to manifest your best life. She's manifested her soulmate. She manifested traveling around the world, living in Manhattan for 10 years, rent-free. She gave birth, beautiful home births to both of her kids. They were both born like eight years apart. I'm not sure how many years on the exact same day. She's just amazing. You don't want to miss that episode. Be sure to tell two of your friends about the podcast. Give us a positive review. And if you have any messages for us, just leave it on the website at 52weeksofhope.com. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening. 